Hi Jürgen, welcome back. Hi Adam, thanks for having me back. <laughs> yeah, and today Mission Impossible. So you would like to uh, explain me or convince me that OSGI is usable and uh, and um, and can be used uh, to structure applications, right? Yes. <laughs> so not sure if I can convince you, but uh, I I know that it is possible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the last time uh, I also noticed that you are the chair of the uh, OSGI working group, so uh, you are uh, at least OSGI believer, I would say, right? Uh, yes, you can call me an evangelist. Evangelist, <laughs> like. okay. Uh, evangelist. Uh, an OSGI yeah. evangelist. Yeah, so I came into office last year as our uh, year former OSGI Alliance president and then OSGI chair uh, Yeah, went into well-earned retirement. Yeah, so uh, I stepped up and everybody... Seem to believe that I could make a job, a good job as a chair, and uh, so now I'm the chair. Okay. So be be before we start with OSGI, uh, the most the the first question uh, uh, we, we should ask ourselves is why we need a module. So um, I would say this is what uh, what or, or a component or module, whatever it is. So uh, we already had here uh, at the podcast a conversation about modules, and what we found out that there is like a physical modules and logical modules. So you can have something on the disk, like a jar, or you can have something in the in your code, like a package. I'm more interested in the packages and less in the jars uh, because of yeah, because we usually because of the deployment model simply. Yeah. And um, yeah, and uh, what I see um, less than I would say nowadays is a little bit less common, but uh, developers really loved modules so i saw you know lots of modules in all variations and um so now the question to you is uh why we should use modules at all how many of modules and how how you pick the perfect module first of good question um for to your first part why do we need modules um the, the first thing is uh because we are not alone in the world so usually we already have all kinds of modules in Java and all kinds of uh, programming languages. So you have your libraries and the library is usually a module. You're working thus with modules um, in the form of uh, in C with DLLs, in uh, Java with other jars uh, and other frameworks and some kind of dependencies and each dependency is a module. So we already have this. Uh, even a Java class itself is a small module. Yeah, yeah. So to but but uh, from so. pr pragmatic point of view, I, I see w w w what you are saying. But um, I, I am a couple of Java SE projects with Maven, so there are no dependencies. Mm -hmm. So I'm perfectly happy with Java SE 11 and 17, and except JUnit, I really don't have any dependencies. I have some uh, tools which are not that small, bigger. The question is, why I should care about modules then? Uh, because as you say, even if you don't use that many external dependencies, mm -hmm. um, you, I, I guess you are, uh, independently of this, are writing uh, applications for Tomcats, applications for enterprise servers or things like this. So thus you, you have dependencies to at Not least... Not even this. Let, let's let's imagine so, we would create so together a, a uh, let's see, a CSV parser for, you know, to, to find out how popular a podcast episode was. And this would be a command line tool with Java SE. And even I would yeah. write it alone. Uh, should I care about modules or not? Um, yes, okay, so let's bring it to, to the point of orders. Um, it's very likely that you have external dependencies in whatever shape, kind of form. So mm -hmm. um, this is something which is clear. So in your example, uh, you could write your command line uh, things by just uh, implementing a main method and doing everything, or you mm -hmm. try to uh, so think like, okay, there are convenient tools like uh, I know about Pico CLI, uh, which exactly. is uh, a neat little tool to, to write this many. So you already have your first dependency there. Uh, when you do this, um, let, let's step a bit back to, to the pre-Maven times. Uh, you may remember most people had, you, you had an end build most yeah. likely, and uh, all your dependencies had been somewhere on the shared. Uh, either you, you've checked it into your SVN or whatever has been used at the time or CVS, or you had it somewhere in most companies on a, on a shared folder or something like this. Everybody was relying to. 
So uh, this was always a bit cumbersome because you manually had to curate what, what you uh, are using down there. So then Maven came around and with the Maven repositories, they already had this dependency management in mm-hmm. there. So you, you say, okay, I use my Pico CLI and whatever the transient dependencies Pico CLI has uh, is in there. And you also have the possibility in Maven to say, hey, these are compile time dependencies, these are runtime dependencies. So it's, it is useful for packaging in the end. So, but this is only at build time. Mm-hmm. Uh, at runtime, you have no way to enforce that your dependencies are really there. So if you are in luck, you are building and the developers of the underlying framework, uh, of the underlying um, uh, dependencies put in their scopes correctly. Um, so if you say, for example, Maven package the WAR file for me or the EAR file, then everything is packaged correctly for you. So this is... Um, this is already a necessity for having a module. And by the way, the definition of a module is not just a module. Uh, a module always needs a contract. So to, in order to work right. So a module should state what it requires to work and interact with the world. Okay. So this is something Maven already does, or most builds somehow do. Uh, the POMXML defines this quite nicely. But this is only at build time. Mm-hmm. So, it, and it's never really an enforcement or a guarantee that this is also working uh, correctly at runtime. So, this is where a module comes in and is useful if you can define these contracts at runtime as well. That, that's interesting because, um, yeah, I see where you're going and, and you are absolutely right. But uh, we have absolute different priorities. So, for me, like uh, Maven or Ant back then with Untask and the jars and, and Maven. Uh, it's just plumbing. Um, I use Maven because I have to, right? So uh, I, I, whether Maven pulls modules or not, I don't care. So for me, actually, it would be the best possible case if Maven will pull one single huge jar with everything inside, and I would just use it. This would be my perfect world as a developer. It doesn't work that way, I know, but for me, from the usability perspective, it would be the best choice. So yeah. what happened sure. to me in all my Java SE tools first, I mean, war even more, but uh, even in Java SE, if they get a, a little bit larger, I always get two parts of the app. One part is stable. It doesn't change frequently. And there is always some part which changes frequently. And mm-hmm. uh, regardless of the contracts, what uh, I always try to do, you know, to, 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 to package the moving part somewhere else. And this is usually Java package. So, then if I open, you know, my project, I know, oh, uh, again, I will have to change something. So I go to this package and change it. And I know that everything else is unchanged. So for me, it is like a module, maybe it's a wrong term, but I use module to, uh, you know, divide and conquer, to, uh, to, 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 to break a huge system into, into little parts. And these parts are, whether they have contracts or not, I don't care. I need a namespace maybe, right? So I, what I would like is a nice name yeah. and everything is inside. So if I open the thing, I know, okay, this this is like my, you know, our podcast uh, uh, rating app or whatever. And um, this is what I care about. Yeah, which is totally understandable. And this is how everybody actually as mostly uses modules. But as you say, you already have two different parts, meaning you have two kinds of modules. So, yeah, so to speak. But uh, so but this... but my modules are more like you know um, the language features and not the build features. So I uh, for for me it's not not that about build time, and I also don't care whether the modules are really independent or not in the in the first uh, in the first iteration. What I really care about is that if I open my package, I fa- uh, so like cohesion, you know, so everything which is in yeah. the package belongs together because uh, yeah. I don't have you know to look at the entire thing. I would like to have smaller, nicer packages with nicer names. So this is what I care about. Yeah, which is uh, totally fine. And as the, the difference becomes, as and, and or the, the question usually is, how do you cut your modules exactly. when you have modules? Exactly. So this is there are uh, there are a couple of best practices, but there are a lot of different ways. So some try to, as, as you say, you you do it. Uh, in, in the way you have described, others do it in a kind of uh, cut it in a business fashion. So every business operation is in their module, whatever the module kind of, as however they structure their modules by packages or by jars. So there, there are a couple of different ways. And 
actually you never get it right in the first place. <laughs> so usually, so things change over time. But what I saw, um, what doesn't work really well, is you know uh, trying to create modules as technical layers or something where people suspected that the database is going to be replaced. So we get, you know, DAOs in one reusable layers or whatever. I would say this is the likelihood is so low that something will change yeah, there. That's, I'm totally with you. People tend to, uh, as there are kind of two kinds of developers. Um, the, the one thing is the, the more the, the, uh, practical developer who just throws everything together as it's just yeah. broadly speaking. Uh, so it works. And the other thing is the over engineer. Yeah. So, and you, and that's usually the thing. Uh, there are some things, yeah, are very unlikely to happen. So, but projects progress and teams get larger. Uh, Murphy kicks in, and everything which is possible will be done at some point in the future. So, mm -hmm. this is where a good modular system uh, kicks in. It makes such things refactoring friendly mm -hmm. and uh, helps you do such changes and also kicks you in the ass just up front when you do things that will bite you later on. Okay. So this is what it, what it is. And as, as bigger, as, as, as larger and as longer running projects are, the more likely it is that some changes will appear, that somebody changes the database underneath it. So okay. it's just, if, if you, you, for, for your, uh, you and your friend project, this is unlikely, but if you have a team with hundreds of developers, uh, for example, then things like this will become more likely. Yes. So. This is true, and, but just a, and, another discussion whether you can be effective in a team of hundred developers, right? I would like to split this entire thing into smaller teams, which are work independently. This would be my my next attempt. So, but yeah. let, let, let's let's keep it a little bit later. So, what what's your way of cutting modules? So, uh, what are you preferring? It depends. It's not an answer. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, the, the thing is, I I have a few. Best practice as what we we are over time became more fine grained with mm -hmm. the modules. Mm -hmm. um, out of a s relatively simple reason, in uh, in OSGI we have the the BND tools we are using for developing the whole things. Mm -hmm. uh, it allows you to run your application in your IDE, and every time you hit save, it redeploys the parts of your application that have changed, mm -hmm. and just and you you never need to restart. Mm -hmm. And this automatically leads you to the parts where this takes a long time because your modules are too big because then the whole cascade of all your services are going away. Ah, okay. Your services come back. You have something which builds an index which takes 20 seconds. Then you move these parts automatically out to own modules that are independent of the others. So they don't need to be rewired all the time, restarted all the time, the index rebuilt and so on and so forth. So you quite naturally progress to a reasonable kind of modularization uh, along your development progress. So this does not necessarily need to have a big influence at runtime because at runtime nobody really exchanges or rarely exchanges singular modules uh, all the time. Mm -hmm. Some projects do, but most projects just are deployed as a whole, as a blob. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but at development time, it really saves you time. Mm -hmm. So Because, yeah, if you never need to restart the application and that's... Yeah, it, it mostly progresses along these lines. Okay, so you start with a monolith and then you break it down because of pragmatic reasons. So you observe how it behaves and as long as you are productive, you are happy. Yeah, so something like this. So over time, then you, you before you start breaking things apart while you are developing, you just start out with a module because, you know, ah, here yeah. I have my, uh, my, my business case, so to speak, with, yeah. uh, let's say we, we stick to the CSV exporter, so there would be a, a module which contains the CSV exporter, maybe another module which just contains the API, yeah. so, um, and and then you have the other module which then using is using the CSV exporter. Mm -hmm. So you can, in theory, take the CSV exporter, throw it in another project and be fine with it and work it, uh, use it as it okay. is. Um, so this is just fix it and our yeah, habit. In, in my mental say. model, uh, if I would write, you know, the, the 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 podcast app, the CSV exporter would be or importer, however, would be a small detail. And um, for me, I would have get a module for sure, podcast episodes or guests or stats. So this would be my first, uh, you know, attempts to create modules uh, with this name, like you know, statistics, guests, episodes, podcasts, whatever. And the uh, the uh, CSV 
would be would start in a first such a business package and mm-hmm. then the other components would pick you know the uh, exporter or importer and um, yeah. in one point of time if i would say okay it is useful and other project or it will grow the exporter then i will extract it afterwards to a standalone module mm-hmm. so i so yeah. I actually i starting you know with objects so for me it's like um i um for me a package in java is more like a java class but but it's bigger so I'm thinking in modules as as Java classes with you no know, responsibilities yeah. and and businesses. I mean, not even business. It's like what we are building, right? We we, we started at university with I think vehicles, ships, and and airplanes, whatever. So this would be my first idea. You know, a package would be a vehicle or or something like that. And 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 uh, and the CSV exporter or logger or cache or configurator. This is hidden. In this is just you know the cross cutting concerns. They are not on the top level. So if if they be- grow bigger, then I will extract it to a top level configuration project. But it, it is not like I don't like to emphasize the technical stuff. Yeah, this is something which which in in especially in OCI you don't need to do because the smallest module in in this sense is the package. Yeah. So you can move your packages around between your jars and your bundles, mm-hmm. and the system as a whole doesn't care about it. This is what I like. So this, this is, what, is like. what you can do at any time. You can even, as what we are uh, uh, doing from time to time, is just repackaging uh, packages from one jar to another. Mm-hmm. So for because we know at deployment time uh, we we just want to have this one jar which contains a few bundles or a few packages in there, and uh, at runtime it doesn't really care because what you if if you do OCI right, then you just have uh, in your you you have your manifest but, but, in your but, but module which with- states which. Stop Which with the OGI. We have, to, we have to. We, we I would like to to uh, you know to 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 stay a little bit longer with the with the module itself and then cover yeah. really deep uh, OGI. Yeah. Because what he also okay, so- what he also said is you no know, the huge project with one hundred developers. So my attempt would be to split such a project with one hundred developers into twenty project with five developers if possible. And yeah. this would be the challenge, you know. And every team would be independent, and we would have one one physical package. Let's say war or whatever jar. Quarkus or War application mm-hmm. servers, and they would create five developers such a war. Um, uh, this would be on team. Th- this would be the challenge if I really have, you know, to deal with s- that that big teams. And and then it, within such a war, this is what I'm thinking about packages. So um, the, the team would create, you know, the the business packages. And regarding OGI, what you said is not like I don't like to have too many packages at the top level. So uh, they, they are coarser. From business responsibilities, yeah. If you look at Amazon, this would be like shopping cart, products, shipments, yeah. or whatever Amazon comprises, but not necessarily, you know, uh, string utils or whatever. I don't care about that. So, um, if then I would like to try to hide it somewhere else, so that uh, it is actually it is not relevant to my business logic to know that we have CSV exporter, let's say, right, or uh, a serializer, yeah. or persistence, or or JPA, or whatever. This is what. And- yeah, this is exactly what modules should be about: abstracting all these things away. That you, as a developer, uh, you just work with packages, basically. Okay. So, and yes, at development time, you have your build dependencies where I say, "Hey, I have my convenient repositories where all these things are in there, um, where they are coming from." You, so this is something you you should you should not really have to need to must have the need to take care about these things. So you should have tooling which then takes care of these things for you. Okay. So, so cool. Is... So now, now towards OSGI. So the first thing what I like, you, you told me um, one package is a bundle or, or a module, which is great because it just works. What we are talking about now, there are different OSGI specifications. So uh, which specification would I choose if I would like to have such a module system? That is basically the core specification okay so the core specification just defines hey there is a framework a framework is something that can have modules installed and modules consist of a couple of packages Uh so and uh, the framework at runtime is uh, responsible to puzzling together who gets which package in which version so because you Uh can have versions as well or it it is a good idea to have versions (laughs) as well Uh uh, at a certain point and how to so, specify the versions? So how can, say, my package is in the version 1? You have different opportunities when you have the right tooling. So the one is you, you have your... Uh, if you don't give a specific version, I believe we always give it uh, 
uh, the tooling always gives it your, your bundle version, also bundle is the jar it contains. Mm -hmm. So and this is version, and if this is version 2.0, all your packages will get this version. So from Manifest, right? Or, so it reads from Manifest, for Manifest MF? Or, or, yes, also okay. we have the tooling which creates the Manifest for you. You don't okay. have to do all these things manually, you just have to find some way. This is now like your Maven, uh, in Maven you set your version already, and this is then also put on the packages, or you can also choose to individually version your packages by slapping an annotation in the packaging oh, this is good class. so jar. it means um, um, it, it picks from the jar but uh, I, I don't like you know too much magic so I could use my my jar tool from JDK so then I will create the Java classes without any version information then I could still use annotation and say okay this annotation the, the bundle is version 2 Will still work. Yes, also you would need to have some some build tooling around it. So we nowadays we, we have a couple of there are a couple of different ways to develop the whole thing. We have a vanilla Maven way with Maven plugins, which is you you just do your normal Maven development and then it goes over your compiled classes, looks for annotations, looks for uh, whatever. Mm -hmm else things we need and then with this you can it, it then modifies your your manifest with all the things given in your pom uh and together with what's in in your annotations and all these annotations are by the way only compile time annotations they mm -hmm. aren't around and and clutter up your your runtime yeah very good things. so um but um let's say i would like to create a hello world module so the simplest possible hello world osgi module without with the least possible tooling involved let's say i only have VI in Maven, mm -hmm. in, in, in Maven, for example, uh, you just set up your normal Maven build and add the BND Maven plugin. And yeah, this but is what, what, what happens behind the scenes? Why I need a plugin? Uh, the, what a plugin does is uh, Maven normally compiles your uh, triggers mm -hmm. the, the uh, compile of your code, and then the BND tool, uh, the BND plugin, goes over your compiled classes, looks which imports you are using. Ah. Which things, mm -hmm. uh, when you, you need to slap an annotation above it to say, this is some API I want to export. So you can control which packages are seen from the outside world, mm -hmm. from outside your module. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can control this and it will also look at, hey, uh, have you defined some versions for it? And then it would write the manifest for you. So there's nothing you need to do. So but I need the manifest. So the, the manifest is what's needed. So I could, you know, uh, if I would be, you know, skilled writer, I could write the manifest by by hand. Yeah, right. You can, could do this by hand, and this is what uh, other build tools are. As like the PDE, where it's used for Eclipse RCP, yeah. it, it is manually writing the the manifest. But nowadays, also it it isn't possible. Also I would say it's not humanly possible to write a good manifest for OCI by hand because. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's 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 looking what you are importing. It's also looking what other things you are using and stating all these things in there. So later a resolver could come around and dynamically and uh, uh, find out what dependencies you would need out of a big set of dependencies you but, provide for it. But it should be technically possible to not have the manifest MF and just read at runtime the annotations, right? I mean, this would no because also... they aren't available at runtime. These are only compiled. Yeah, but 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 I mean, yeah, this is the limitation. But we could make him, you know, uh, the retention runtime, and then it could be possible, should be possible to have OSGI without manifest, right? Um, could be. I mean, the the, the idea would be. Even... Oh, yeah, the, the question would be why? Because this is something why not? which never changes. So but if you if if you think about this, I mean, you know, the penalty is low, but you wouldn't have. To, to maintain any tools. Yeah, this is this is one thing OCI is all about is uh, keep your dependencies as minimal as possible. So all the things you if you have an uh, an OCI bundle mm -hmm. which is done in a proper way, then you would not have any OCI specific dependencies in there mm -hmm. if you do it right. Yeah, but, but this is like yeah, as well. Yeah, I get you, but I mean, I, I would say I have not, nothing against an annotation, right? If I say okay, if I'm happy with the OCI annotation in my bytecode. Then it would be then it would be less magic. Yeah, it would be as as many as much magic as it would be before because then somebody has to do it at runtime. What we are currently doing at, at compile time. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, also you have always at runtime this um, thing that somebody needs to get around. Look at each and every class you have. Maybe there is an annotation on there, maybe not. Mm -hmm. So somebody needs to know about every other class, and this is also a thing what modules are about. In, in the module system, this isn't really possible. You can't look at every class if you don't declare that you want to look at these classes. 
So yeah. this is the reason why why things like JPA and uh, all these things that use code weaving have a hard time with the Jigsaw JPMS stuff as well. Yeah. So because they want to look at every class and add something to it, maybe or not. So this is why we decided years ago that this is better do, uh, to do at build time. Yeah, no, so because uh, this is this also oh. a good decision because uh, this is what also Corcus does. I don't know whether you're aware of Corcus. What Corcus yeah. does, uh, it, it looks at the annotation at build time and generates the bytecode at build time, which is uh, yes. but but uh, what what uh, my the other idea would be what what I just was just a question whether there is such a thing because this is what application servers are doing they 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 are looking mm -hmm. at runtime at all the annotations you know and building yeah. the like like you said JPA so uh, it, sh it should be possible there are different trade offs but uh, you don't need any build time tooling for instance Quarkus right also requires a plugin which does the yeah. the building not uh, manifest but bytecode. But uh, like Payara doesn't have such a plugin, and it just does it at deploy time. So this is two, yeah. two uh, possibilities. The, the why, mm -hmm. One of the reasons why we are doing it this way is um, with this information in the manifest, we can uh, assemble what is required at runtime uh, without looking at bytecode, reading annotations, and things like this. As meaning, um, Staying to how modern OCI uh, works, uh, let's say I want to write a REST API for whatever. Mm -hmm. So uh, with JaxRS, uh, we have a thing called the JaxRS whiteboard where you can register your. I don't, it's it's like JaxRS mm -hmm. roughly. So what I do, I write my module. Uh, we, as I say, we call it bundle. I write my bundle, have my few REST endpoints in there, just a world REST endpoint, for example. Um, the build tooling comes around, looks at the annotations, writes the manifest. So then I have my module, which just contains some REST resources. So then mm -hmm. at a certain point, I want to say, hey, now I want to run the whole thing. Um, and then we have something that's called the resolver. Mm -hmm. And the resolver, you just give it the bundles you think are necessary, in this case, my REST uh, bundle. And then it looks at the manifest and says, okay, somebody tells me here he wants JaxRS, so I need somebody who provides functionality for JaxRS. Then he looks through all the dependencies you give mm -hmm. him, uh, which are usually somewhere in your build path. Um, and then it figures out, okay, yeah, here is my JaxRS implementation. Oh, JaxRS implementation, this requires a servlet container. So it looks through, oh, here's a Jetty, for example. And then packages as a uses only the things and packages only the things it really, really requires. Mm -hmm. So and nothing else around it, mm -hmm. which comes to the point um, where we have, a, uh, as an example, do you know about Vardin? Vardin, yeah, sure. Hello. Yeah, we, we have a, a so-called Vardin whiteboard where you can register your Vardin things. And uh, we have the standard demo, um, which Vardin is using as well. It's uh, normally built with, with Spring. Mm -hmm. And the result of the Spring build is... Uh, 45 megabyte, uh, mm -hmm. if I'm not with Spring Boot. And the same thing with the OCI build is just 15 megabytes. Okay. So, because it only takes what is really, really necessary. So, and this is what, what you can do if the things are stated correctly in the manifest. Does it also and, uh, start faster than in Spring Boot or? I've never really measured it. Because this would be interesting. As it has to load less things, I would assume that yeah. it might be faster as well. Okay. Um, and and this is the this is the nice thing uh, for for OCI you never need uh, a runtime in the sense like uh, an application server around it which comes of a lot of things you usually mm -hmm. don't need uh, or a Tomcat or things like this so it's uh, if you do do a vanilla OCI build then you just have in your final build result what you actually need. Okay. So there are, the, there are different exporters you can a self executable jar comes out with out of, out of it with only the few bundles in there that are really, really necessary. So that's the nice thing about it. But in theory, I could also use package info for metadata, right? I just are thinking, yeah, you know... We, we are using it in part. So, for example, the the export... As if you declare an export for a package via an annotation, you do it in the package info. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but, uh, yeah, but this is the reason, basically, why we said we, we write all these things in the manifest. Uh -huh. and, uh, and on the other hand... Uh, most of the concepts predate, as I'm not sure when annotations came around, but OCI started as the alliance in 1999. So Yeah, and, and before, uh, actually, um, I think OSGI alliance, right. And before was OSGI, there was the book from Sun Microsystems. Sun started yeah. OSGI, and this was my very first, you know, OSGI project where we did some experiments with OSGI. 
and uh, I, I forgot the there was some Sun embedded uh, Sun embedded OSGI server. This was the name, something like this, Sun Sun embedded server. There's a, also a book yeah. about that, and uh, we did some experiments uh, back then. And uh, so it was really old. I mean, it is older than everything else. So back then there was yes. not annotations came in in Java five. So uh, yeah. it is like I don't know six years after OSGI inception. Uh, so I, I know the the basic idea behind OSGI. Also, the alliance itself was founded in 1999. Uh, the idea is like 25 years old. Mm -hmm. So and. Uh, I believe Peter Kreens uh, came up with the whole thing mm -hmm. way back when. Um, yeah, then the, the alliance formed around it was a big thing at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, but then it became a bit political over time. And I guess this was, <laughs> there was once even uh, an OSGI phone. <laughs> I, I've got told. <laughs> so until yeah, yeah. Uh, Android came around and just bought the whole <laughs> store. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but that's another story. Yeah, but. Um, um, just, just trying to understand the manifest MF because uh, I don't like tooling that much. I mean, I don't like. I mean, this is what modern what happens behind the scenes usually at build time. Um, so um, for me, it would be also nice, you know, to 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 be able to annotate just the package info and have a module, right, without manifest yeah, MF. That, that's what you, what you actually do. Yeah, the, in, in OCI. So it's, yeah, the, uh, you you can yeah. But so. package info to Java, the Java class, right? The package. Yeah, the, the Java class. You you write it on the Java class. You can say at export and then at version and then have everything in there. But yeah, perfect. So the, this is what I would have searched for. Uh, this is uh, because I know you know the manifest MF and uh, with the with the really strict formatting, yeah. and um, and package info. This is what I also saw. I think on Open Liberty. But uh, uh, so I could just write the package info and I'm done, right? And in 99% of the cases, this would be sufficient. So it's rare that you have to put in. Also, I I haven't touched a manifest itself in years. Yeah. So it may be the, that I I give some additional configuration for the BND Maven plugin mm -hmm. to amend whatever I'm writing as a word what it's generating automatically because tooling can only go so far. Mm -hmm. Always, uh, it can make guesses, but well, for example, if I say hey, this, this import is there in my bytecode, but hey, nobody cares about it. This is strictly optional. Then you can tell there, okay, this package import just make it optional or just ignore it. Yeah. So this is things you can additionally put on top of it if the generated things. So in the in the core spec, so oh, we have resolver, and the job of the resolver is to uh, walk through all the modules, and the modules are exporting capabilities. And uh, requiring capabilities. So the uh, if a module requires a capability, so it, the resolver searches in in a cache or uh, somewhere and, and says, yeah. "Okay, uh, I know someone who who provides this contract, and the contract mm -hmm. is implemented by something internally. This is hidden. We don't know about what. So the module becomes replaceable. And uh, what we get for free, it's my understanding, is uh, like a tree shaking. So only these modules are used actually." Which uh, are needed, even if there are more more modules on disk, they are just that they are there, but are actually not used because no one requires them to be started, right? In parts, uh, also these are two things you uh, throw together. There, the, the resolver runs one as it can be run at build time. Yeah. This was what I was explaining earlier, and then independently of this, uh, at some point there will be the start of the OCI framework and somebody would have gotten around saying, hey, these are the modules I want to install in there. Mm -hmm. Then these modules can have a life cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, not can have, they have a life mm -hmm. cycle. Uh, by default, they are all started after they are installed. Mm -hmm. And uh, before they can get started, the framework tries to resolve what's in the manifest. So in theory, if somebody comes around, wants to load a class out of it, it can say, hey, I can provide everything which is required here. Mm -hmm. So these are the two stages, basically. So you have the build time resolving if you'd like, or you can do it manually and curate what you will put in there. But the framework will then validate this at runtime. Exactly. So this is also... Uh, for example, the, the recent Block4j uh, mm -hmm. thing that came up, uh, this is what showed me where the strength of this lies because uh, everybody was uh, panicking and running around looking for his projects, who is using Log4j and this version and so on and so forth. And uh, for example, if you would be uh, de developing or if I would develop uh, an EAR application as an enterprise application for, for a customer, then I lo would look through my application setup. Do I use uh, Log4j there? No, I don't. 
um, or I, I update my dependencies, then I have my ER or WAR file or whatever uh, gets mm -hmm. deployed. And then somebody at the, at the deployment team at some point in the past would have copied an older version of Log4j in the common libraries mm -hmm. uh, of the application server. Mm -hmm. So, And then I would basically be screwed because usually it was always de de uh, delegating to the parent class loader uh, and then I would get the old Log4j, even mm -hmm. if I never have it somewhere in the, the parts where mm -hmm. I have my hands on. And with OCI, it's, you would declare, hey, I want version XYZ and then you would get it. If it's would not, it would not be there, then it wouldn't work. Um, yeah, so this is something you would get with this as well. So because you, there are always parts of your application you know you you can't control. Yeah. So with this, you get some way of control over things like this. Yeah, if you would copy this to the application server to the root, uh, yes, sure. I mean, this is like JDBC driver, you know. Then 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 it is it yeah. is just loaded before the application. This is like the hierarchical model. In modern runtime, like uh, modern, the newer runtimes like Helidon or Quarkus, there is only one class loader, so there is no more no more distinction between application server code yeah. and and the and the app app code. Um, but um, what you can also do, I saw this in a project, you can also load uh, OSGI modules lazily, right? So you can declare in code, say, I would like to have a lazy load of this module. So if you if the first module is initialized, the other is going to be loaded on demand. So this is what I. Yeah, no, not really. This is some people mix this up a bit. Um, in, in annotation. So there is an annotation um, where you yes, can say... Yes, this is the component. What, what yeah, exactly. But, so, the, but this is not no more core, right? This is no more core. So the core specification we are done. What is the, what is the life cycle there's resolution? One the, there's, mm -hmm. there's one additional thing to the core specification. Uh, what what OCPI defines is it says, okay, you have your... Now we, we discussed about the modules. So mm -hmm. this is the logical uh, separation of your, your classes, so to speak. Um, and then you, they say, okay, if they want to interact with each other, okay, you can export and import your packages. So mm -hmm. you have your class path exposed. Uh, but the other thing uh, is they communicate via services. Mm -hmm. So, and the service is, uh, simply just some kind of a Java object, which can be required, uh, like CDI and mm -hmm. get injected and things like this. Mm -hmm. So in, in the core, they just say what we have here is a service registry. Mm -hmm. Uh, where you can register your Java object mm -hmm. and give it some properties. Mm -hmm. And somebody else can dynamically listen to this uh, and query this registry. So mm -hmm. this is what it, what the course says. About. Okay. Um, and the idea is to, you, you always export like an API interface uh, mm -hmm. package, uh, a package which only contains the interfaces, and then somebody comes around and registers under this interface and implementation. Mm -hmm. So it's, whoever uses it just works against the API and never has to know about the actual implementation detail mm -hmm. uh, underneath it. Mm -hmm. And it also allows you to have multiple implementations of the same interface and you can distinguish between it because uh, you can query the service properties and say, please give me the payment provider for of uh, with the type property PayPal or something like this. Okay. So you would get the payment provider and yeah, it's PayPal underneath or it can be Visa or whatever. So yeah, it's almost like a qualifier where you can say you know, yeah, something like this. So th this is this is what the core specification says, and to make all these things comfortable, because when you do this manually, uh, you can do this all manually, but this is a bit cumbersome to work with. Uh, we have the so-called declarative services, uh, mm -hmm. which is the component mod as a component model, which says okay, I can have my Java uh, class slap this component annotation uh, on it. And then your class be, suddenly gets a life cycle. Mm -hmm. So it looks uh, when declarative services detects uh, something like this, um, it just instantiates your class. Uh, and if you say, hey, I have an activate part. So when I become active, then please do this. Before I get destroyed or get deactivated, please do this. So you just, mm -hmm. it's another annotation you put on your, your mm -hmm. methods. Uh, and you can also declare uh, dependencies to other services. Let's mm -hmm. say, please give me the, uh, I need the, the, the CSV importer. Uh, then my service only gets activated when the CSV exporter is there and active and activated. And uh, so that's basically what the component model does. Mm -hmm. And this is also by default lazy. This means if nobody is around using the CSV exporter, the CSV exporter is never instantiated. Okay. So the first time somebody comes around, uh, by default, then it is instantiated. Who cares about the annotation? So if I have the component annotation, who is in charge of uh, searching for the annotations? 
They have to be in the registry. Uh, I, sub- I, I guess this is the capability of the registry, right, of the service. Uh, in this case, this is also something which the tooling does. These are only okay. also compile time. Um, okay. There's the same module, uh, the same same plugin which uh, does the whole thing. From Maven or Gradle, uh, it looks at this in at this annotations and creates basically an XML file in your bundle. Mm-hmm. And declares in the ma- uh, in the manifest that you need the requirement to handle these declarative services, and states where these uh, XMLs are in the manifest. So, and there's then you have another bundle in your your framework and runtime, which knows about these things, looks at all the bundles that are coming in, looks in the manifest as ah yeah this here's somebody who's participating, uh, and provides service uh, XMLs for me, and then it reads this. So yeah, but, also uh, but, something but, you never need to look at it. But if if OHI were a clean framework, I would I would I would uh, the idea would be that in the service registry there would be a specific component. Which does you know the component scanning, right? So we have the core model, and on the top of that would be the component model, and this is just an ordinary dependency in the service registry, which uh, lists, which searches for the XML files or the metadata or whatever. And so the lifecycle module, this is what I'm the container. How to call it? Component container. How how you call it? Con- mm-hmm. uh, container runtime should be actually just another service registry. Member, or how to call no, it's, it? It's using this. Uh, that's the, the the nice thing. It uses the same service registry underneath because as yeah. it takes care, it, it knows about the lifecycle of your components, and then when you can decide by implementing an API or declaring uh, that you want to export a service, ah, okay, then it would register this in the service registry. So okay, and so, somebody else could use it by either manually uh, by querying the service registry or declarative services uses this to inject it in your framework. And yeah. the nice thing about this is it only uses the same service registry. We also have a CDI implementation uh, where you can use CDI next to it. Have a clear uh, bundle which uses CDI for for injecting all these things and keeping uh, taking care of this. And it also works against the service registry underneath it. Meaning you can have manual registered services uh, injected in your CDI. The S as declarative services in there uh, that are getting injected in there without knowing how, in which way they have been uh, implemented in the first place. Mm-hmm. So you can have a mix of all these things without take, uh, caring about has somebody used CDI for it, has somebody used declarative services for it, or has somebody done this manually. So th- then I get it. So this is not like the service registry is the active component, it's more like the component spec is what it started and it uses behind the scenes the service registry is more like layering right so, exactly yeah, yeah very that, good that's how it works. Um, okay this makes sense because then the components are starting and they are using internally the service registry for the entire resolution so uh, yeah um, can you mm-hmm. just start the core part no you will need something else right it doesn't make any sense the, the core part is always the framework so the framework is the what what you are starting with it's either usually Equinox or Felix these are the, the two main implementations mm-hmm. um, it's relatively small jars yeah but then how i mean if you always start the core framework then you know all the all the services in the registry are started and 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 they are done but who starts the component part uh this is like i said you 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 start your framework and then you install your jars in this framework yeah so, and one of the jars that is installed there is for example declarative services or the Ah. this is what i meant so the one dependency in the service registry has specific capabilities, and this is the like you know the component launcher or whatever. Yeah, and this is not part of the service registry. It's just a module which yeah, says, exactly. okay, you can register things like a, a bundle tracker, which tells you when a bundle appears or goes or, yeah. or goes away. So, mm-hmm. and this is and it is looking for you at new incoming bundles and registers things in the service registry as needed and necessary. Yeah. So, but these are two separate parts, basically, the, uh, which bundles are installed and uh, which services yeah. are in the service registry. So, 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 so th- this makes sense. So what it means is now, you know, the core is always starting. So what you get in worst case, you have all the dependencies, but nothing happens. And uh, what can also happen is that uh, a specific bundle st- starts, and this is the component bundle, and it listens, listens for the spec and implementation pairs. Mm-hmm. And then you get dependency injection. You can then start CDI, whatever. So then it's a clean again. This is what I meant. So that in the service registry, there is a specific component, which is like any other component, except it it it, it uses the registry like recursive part, right? It uses the registry to find other components and starts everything, provides lifecycle and so forth. 
Um, yes, sir. You can easily, also you can roughly say it like this. So, 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 so for my understanding, you could uh, actually create like Prometheus exporter. So it will start in the service registry, look for components with specific monitoring annotations, and export them as Prometheus metrics, right, or open metrics format or whatever. Yes. Is, or, or, or JMX yeah. or whatever. I mean, this was just an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the nice thing is when you always use the um, the service registry as your interaction point between your modules, uh, you get a lot of neat little things. So you can always register at any time uh, and unregister things in this registry and use this as a marker. So what I've uh, my initial example with the um, JAXRS. Mm -hmm. uh, things there's also no component and annotation scanning in there also so no no class scanning uh, up front what we are doing is we register JAXRS resources as mm -hmm. services mm -hmm. and there is then the JAXRS whiteboard mm -hmm. which picks these things up then scans okay then it scans the classes it gets there the components it gets injected or the, the services uh, and then it uses also and it uses them to provide a, a JAXRS endpoint mm -hmm. with it mm -hmm. So, so what it means, uh, uh, you could actually add additional resources at the runtime with new versions. Exactly. exactly. And, this is what and this is one of the, the things where, where, where really uh, OCI really kicks in. This is at development time because you never have to restart anything. Usually, if you work with JaxRS or mm -hmm. servlets, at the moment you add a method, the, uh, even with the debugger and code replacement, yeah, you're screwed and need to restart because your debugger tells you, sorry, hot code replacement doesn't work anymore here. Mm -hmm. uh, with us, it's uh, yeah, you change your code, add a method, add an annotation for now it should be another content type or producer or provider or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, as the bundle gets uninstalled, everything gets unloaded, the new bundle gets installed automatically underneath and uh, it gets picked up automatically. And mm -hmm. you can still work on with what you're, also you don't need to restart the whole yeah. construct. So this really uh, speeds up development. Yeah, and this is full cycle because what we talk about, we are already 80% of implementing an application server, right? This is what exactly. the Glassfish and Jebos are doing because uh, in, in the Glassfish case, what there was, there was an, a small bundle called EGB. As I remember, it was 700K. And this, you know, booted the entire EGB container. This was an OSGI bundle, or it is, uh, yeah. in Glassfish or Payara. Um, and um, so we are already that far. Uh, so this is what actually <laughs> really full cycle, right? Because uh, this is what I also thought, you know, OSGI is genius just for to, for building application servers, of course. But in your case, you say, okay, why I, why I need application server if I already have OSGI, right? Because uh, if yeah. you don't need anything on top if you're using the, the, the framework from day one. But another story is, what is also very similar, right, is to Kubernetes, actually, right? But Kubernetes is exactly yeah. the same what you created with far more, you know, ceremony and circus with processes and, and heavy stuff. And, and, and ETCD, I, I, ETCD, right, in Kubernetes is, for me, like the service registry in OSGI. And, uh, and, but uh, far leaner. I mean, uh, you would save orders of magnitude more resources. Also, your OSGI bundle, in worst case, would consume 500 megs of RAM, and Kubernetes is a, is a gigabyte of, 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 of resources, right? Yeah. As, a, as, as far as I've seen it in the past, as Kubernetes came up or before Kubernetes, uh, I've, um, people started using Docker and, uh, or as Docker came around, it made it easy to, to really separate things that had been large before. So then somebody came up, uh, had the idea, hey, we just slap uh, rest uh, rest endpoints mm -hmm. in between the whole things. And so we can have our business modules, so we can have mm -hmm. different teams use whatever if they want to use Node.js or whatever in there. Uh, what mm -hmm. was a nice idea. And I, I years back in a, in a project, uh, we started looking or the everybody started looking into uh, using uh, was pre-Kubernetes or was Kubernetes that was sort of one of the first versions of Kubernetes that had been out and uh, everybody was well yeah that's t totally cool and uh, I was looking at him for like yeah it's the same thing we are doing for years now and after two months everybody thought he was the expert and said yeah here I can have my uh, things there and here and uh, I always realized nobody really saw the the downside of the whole thing at first because everybody was excited that they now could package things up in the, the way they liked uh, and have to separate it. But for one, you A, always bought the, the network delay mm -hmm. in your communication. Uh, you moved your application 
um, orchestration and made it somebody else's problem. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, it was like nobody really cared about the life cycle you have inside your Docker container. Because uh, at the time, we had been building a search server uh, using, using Lucene. And when the whole thing started, uh, it took like 20 minutes to build its index. Mm -hmm. So... Meaning, if somebody threw this in a Kubernetes container, somebody else would get and check that, hey, your search service is now available. Here are the credentials, uh, the years where you can find it. Uh, but the search server itself wouldn't be available for like 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So nobody really took care about this life cycle mm -hmm. and cared about it. So then you knew, would have needed to implement manually to pull and pull and everything. Um, and this is something which always OCI addressed from the start. Then for me, Kubernetes is always had been a big overblown, unnecessary part. Everybody was just jumping to right now because they haven't seen the possibility before. I so. mean, uh, yeah, jumping. I mean, the um, what I, I, I made different observations. So um, actually, so I, I was one of the first Docker users, and the reason for that, I even used Docker before it was consistent. So I had problems with the file system at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason was I always had my own servers. And with Docker, I saw the first time the possibility to have a proper backup. Because I say, okay, yeah. I can have a you know, bare metal server that I can just put my Docker containers. And, uh, and, and, and I don't have to, you know, to document what I actually did with all the, you know, uh, systemd on whatever was, uh, was necessary for firewalls. Because with Docker, it was a lot simpler. The problem with Docker, of course, I had always had were the ports. So I didn't have you know that many applications, but you had you get ports collisions. Mm -hmm. And what Kubernetes solved is what Docker also solved. Docker did the Docker networking, but it never took off. But what uh, Kubernetes did, uh, the uh, you, you never had the problem with the ports again. So it virtualized the network. So mm -hmm. I would say the network virtualization was very pragmatic in 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 in, in Kubernetes case, but. On conferences, I was completely confused because uh, developers never talk about that. So it was more about you know microservices and and scalability and mm -hmm. and, and 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 resilience and fault tolerance, and and this for me, uh, if you look at the Kubernetes, you know all the YAMLs you need to deploy a simple thing is crazy. So I, I would even prefer yeah. you no know, manifest MF <laughs> in OSGI before I have to edit all, all the YAMLs, and um, and uh, so so it means the, the Kubernetes. Solved actually a problem well with the uh, uh, with the IP addresses, so every service got their own IP address and the and the ports, but um, and it came with a huge overhead. So uh, and the overhead is okay if um, if the deployments are larger. Oh, this is what I also um, uh, forgot to mention. I never run a small microservice in a Docker. It was more like we had apps in a Docker. So it was far larger. You know, we had uh, um, so in my case still small wars. Um, but there was like a team, you know, five to ten developers mm -hmm. shipped a microservice, I call it, because it was still small. And this was a part of the Docker. So a larger applications, maybe we had, you know, at most ten microservices, but there were more like ten apps working together. So it was, this would be your, your project with 100 yeah. developers, like ten such a microservices. So, and... Um, so what it means is uh, in in Payara or back then Whitefly or Open Liberty case, we had actually ten OSGI runtimes, you know, mm -hmm. packaged in a in, yeah. in, in in things. So with uh, with OSGI, it's a different story now in the you know uh, uh, linear world. What you could do is you can you can consider having the uh, OSGI server as Kubernetes to so say okay, um, the isolation is good enough, so I can have you know I can deploy multiple apps in a single core. And uh, development experience is great. And at runtime, I can save resources, actually, right? And this is always yeah. like a tenant isolation. So this will be your decision, you know. If we, I, I, of course, I can isolate everything still with Docker, but I don't have to. So if it's good enough, yeah. I could have, you know, one, how to call it, like a, a container, which provides uh, runtime for services. Yes. <laughs> so uh, to, to pick your things apart, so first of all, uh, the, the thing you said, Docker and uh, Kubernetes solve, this is also where, where I like it and where we yeah. use it as well. Mm -hmm. Because usually when we are done, we provide to our customers one or more Docker containers. So mm -hmm. with everything mm -hmm. uh, in there, so because it's ready to install, just use it mm -hmm. and don't take care about anything. Maybe set a few properties around yeah. it. Um, the other part uh, is also true. You can have uh, also multiple applications in one big OCI container, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, the, because the, the reason is 
the way OCI handles modules is basically the, the textbook definition, how modules should look like. And mm -hmm. if these modules run at the same virtual machine, the same bare metal or Docker container, doesn't really matter. So the concepts stay the same mm -hmm. or stay, stay similar. So, and, uh, with, especially what you said, um, that there are a few approaches. Um, the one thing is we have to so-called remote service uh, specification. Mm -hmm. So a remote service is simply, uh, a distributed as that you can have multiple OCI frameworks running with as multiple containers. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can declare my service uh, should also be available to outside, to mm -hmm. the outside world. So, and then it's automatically announced to other containers, which are also connected to the system and get imported as needed. So, mm -hmm. which means for me as a developer, I work against my interface. And if the implementation is living on my, in my JVM or somewhere else, doesn't matter to me. Everything else is taken like care of. Like a proxy, right? Like a proxy, there there is a proxy will be built in between. There are ways to transport the things like uh, via MQTT, via a couple of different transport mechanisms, and so on. And the neat and the nice thing then is the packaging around it doesn't really matter for you as a developer. You just say, "I want my CSV CSV importer mm -hmm. or exporter." Mm -hmm. um, And this is what you are doing. And then at some other point, somebody else comes around and so says, "Okay, now I take my my modules and." either put it all in one big uh, deployment. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, you can see how oh, the CSV importer or exporter, this is the, the, the weak part. So this needs scaling. And then you can move this part out, for example, if you want at runtime, <laughs> and throw it in another remote services, scale it there mm -hmm. uh, on a maybe a faster machine or whatever you're doing there. Failover, uh, right? Scaling, I would say scaling is... I mean, if you look at the cloud, most services are running on a fraction of a CPU. It's not like, you know, uh, yeah, this is... Scaling uh, or if, if it makes sense to, to... Sometimes you will have a requirement say, hey, this is, uh, for example, running an index. This needs a, a fast, faster hard disk. Yeah, exactly. Or you mm -hmm. Things like where you need better a GPU than a CPU and things like this. And yeah, this is where you can then... It, it really kicks in. And then you can distribute your things as you, as you want. For you as a developer, it doesn't matter... Mm -hmm. how these things are working together and where they are. Yes, you get latency and things then in there as well, naturally, as so there's a limit to, to the whole thing uh, until you need to think about it. But uh, the, how you package and deploy your, your bundles and your modules and how you curate them doesn't really matter anymore. And on, as it is, is the, the one way of doing it. And the other thing is you could also basically use it. And there are things out there that do this to, to orchestrate your containers because a you know, container or an application can also be like a bundle. It has a life cycle. Uh, it has things it can do. It has a contract. What can it do? What, what can't it do? If you as a, a user, your database, for example. Mm -hmm. So you can basically you, could, but this goes. This is going to be too long if we start with database right now. Do we have uh, a lot to cover still, OSGI? Did we cover, you know, yes. everything? No, we have still <laughs> to, things to cover. Yeah, uh, basically, we, we now cover the basics of okay. OSGI. Okay, very good. So what I would suggest, we meet again and have a deeper yes. discussion now about the more exciting OSGI stuff because now we have common understanding what OSGI is, more than OSGI, and then we can cover the yeah. more exciting OSGI in the clouds, let's say. Yeah, I I'd love to. Perfect. <laughs> But so where maybe, people can find you with data data in motion or you know your Twitter account? Uh, you can find me at uh, datainmotion.com mm -hmm. uh, uh, just as this or in a couple of different open source projects like the OCI uh, projects in Eclipse. Mm -hmm. There we can be found. The BD tools projects we can be found as well as committers. Uh, also on Gecko projects on GitHub. Okay. Uh, and on GitLab, um, where we have our open source things, where we use the model-driven part together with OCI. And uh, yeah, I can send you a few links so we can put... Perfect, it yeah. Just do it. This will, this will be great. Greatly simplify yeah. you know, my show notes editing yeah. work. Okay, thank you. See you next time. Um, be, be, before you uh, sign off, have I convinced you to you maybe use OCI at some point? I always use it. So um, what, 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 I, what I actually uh, always search for is uh you know a pragmatic way of using this and i use always osgi behind the scenes with 
with Glassfish, Whitefly, and so forth. In um, my current project, the services are too small, but um, I mean, one of the first projects, actually, this was uh, interesting, uh, Volkswagen asked me about OSGI. And this is like, you know, uh, Sun Embedded Server came out. This was exactly right. This was very beginning of OSGI. This was the Sun book, so I remember it was around 2000. And we look at that. So I always stick with OSGI. What I didn't like, you know, there was a period where it was like too much hype and no one, like OSGI back then was like Kubernetes right now, I would say, or Kubernetes two years yeah. ago. So this was uh, this was like, you know, the same craziness. So I asked, you know, why we need OSGI? And the answer was because of modularization. And this is what I don't like. Because I don't care about modularization. I would like to build apps which are understandable, right? If you can explain clearly what the benefits are, I mean, this is another tool, and I'm really interested in it, right? And and for instance, Open Liberty, it is excellent. It, it works perfectly. Why? Because of OSGI. So I mean, there there is no question about that, right? So um, and this was like just you know, I, I was just uh, curious how you react. So this was the intro, you know. This was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so uh, you don't have to convince me because uh, I knew it working well, but it was always not always. It was often misused. In my projects, you know, yes, people wanted to use, you know, OSGI to have modules, and I asked why you need modules, and no one knew because it was fancy to have a module. So okay, then I can create for you twenty modules, and if you are happy, then the project is over, right? So this was yeah. like and this is always the, the wrong reason to use anything, <laughs> just yeah. because it's there, because the, the reason for it is the is it itself. <laughs> so yeah, perfect. So see you next time to talk more about the specific stuff or the the exciting OSGI stuff. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs>